Hello, listeners. This is Rosie here, just to tell you that the audio quality on this episode is a little bit below the standard that we managed for following episodes. Don't worry about it, it's still audible, but just wanted to let you know that we are aware (laughs) of the um, issues that are present. Please enjoy our very first episode of Reversing Polarity. Once I see if the device works properly, they'll release me. I don't much doubt it. You see, before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. You realise what will happen? Oh, yes. You. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. So he's reversed the polarity! Keep back! to Reversing Polarity, a Doctor Who fancast presented to you by two non-binary people who are convinced and correct that Doctor <laughs> Who has always been gay. <laughs> we are absolutely right about this. We are absolutely right about this. Would you like to introduce yourself? I would love to. Hello, my name is Aim. My pronouns are they, them, and I am generally a disaster queer. I My day job is in somehow science communications. I'm also a writer and I like enthusing about all sorts of media, and my favourite thing at the moment is lesbians in space. That's fair. I'm just nodding emphatically in agreement on that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm Rosie. I am in normal life a teacher, and in abnormal life, aka all of my spare time, I have been watching pretty much nothing but Doctor Who for several weeks now. <laughs> I grew up watching it, and then I fell off the wagon, and now I am back on the very important wagon, which is... What word am I looking for? Just absolutely enthusing about Doctor Who to anyone who will listen, and to lots of people who won't. Uh, my <laughs> pronouns are also they, them, and I am a disaster lesbian. So we're going to have a really good time with this particular serial which we have chosen for this episode. I think we're starting with some really strong disaster lesbian energy, and I hope that's something we can carry on for the rest of the podcast. Oh, definitely. Well, when we get to, you know, seventh Doctor ones, we'll be absolutely in there, whether yes. it's Mel or Race. I-, I love both of them. Yeah, so the the premise for the podcast is each week a, a random number generator will select for us a Doctor Who serial to watch from the classic series. We're going to recap it and then we're going to discuss different elements of the serial, what we liked, what we didn't, different things that the characters do, and then we'll talk about behind the scenes information and any links to the expanded Doctor Who universe. Yeah, I think we're sort of keeping in the chaos of the whole thing by letting fate decide for us. Yes, we've got exactly. a pretty good run of episodes to start with. Yes, absolutely. And would you like to introduce this week's serial? I would love to because it's one of my favourites. It is The Keeper of Traken, which is a fourth Doctor story. Um, it is the last canonical TV story not to feature any human characters. Fun fact, ah. start off with. Yeah. So the fourth Doctor and Adric learn from the wizened Keeper of Traken who just appears in the TARDIS. Incredibly, just dramatically. <laughs> He's a style icon as well. He He's absolutely just... is. We'll get to that later, but yes. Yeah. Um, so the Keeper of Traken says a great evil has come to his planet in the form of Melkor, a calcified statue, which is the news everybody wants in the morning. Yes. Nothing I want more in my life than a calcified statue. I think it sort of says the stage of life we're at when that's exciting. The Keeper of Traken's nearing the end of his reign and seeks the Doctor's help in preventing the evil from taking control of the bioelectronic source that is the Keystone of the Traken Union's civilization. So there's a lot of political intrigue in here. There is some mistaken identities or concealed identities. Oh. <laughs> and it is not just the, the political drama of Traken at play. We have some yes. brilliant Doctor Who lore coming into it as well. There is there is some great Doctor Who lore. There is also a significant amount of world building for Traken, which is a shame because, and this is the point where we tell you that this podcast will be rampantly spoiling everything, Traken does get blown up in the next episode. Which is a shame because the aesthetic of Traken is just amazing. It's incredible. And now Nissa has to carry it on and she does a great job at it, but... Is she ever going to have a manicure as good as the Keeper of Dragons? Nobody will. So yes, is there anything recap? I should have put a bigger plot recap in there. Well, we can sort of talk about it in more depth, I guess. I've got all my notes. Perfect. Yeah. Well, obviously that's kind of the setup for the story. When they arrive on Traken, they are in the grove and they see Melka, which means fly trapped in honey. 
which is such a weirdly specific piece of conlang to include in a story which is otherwise entirely devoid of conlang. <laughs> but it makes sense when you when you think about it. I have a theory that there's probably a lot more conlang in the first draft, and then it all got changed when yeah. Johnny Byrne was on holiday in Greece. In my brain, it does make sense. I feel like in some language, Mel is like the beginning of the word honey. I don't know. That's yeah. Why well, yes. I probably could have researched it. We spent a lot of time researching for this episode and I forgot to do that bit. But don't worry, because it's all going to come through in the expanded universe segment. <laughs> I'm really impressed. I'm looking forward to that already. So yes, they, they get to track him, figure out what's going on. I watched it with the commentary, which was really fun, but not great in terms of reminding myself of the actual plot. Yeah, when they're um, all on the TARDIS and the Keeper is there to invite the Doctor to come and help them on Traken, they watch kind of like a... <laughs> they watch kind of a, I don't know, Mission to the Unknown style prequel to the episode in which yeah. we're introduced to this woman, Cassia, who is like the also Keeper... Also a style of the, icon. The she is also a style icon, who has been looking after the statue of Melka, which is... The, I, I, the whole thing about Traken is that it is apparently this completely peaceful utopia in which nothing evil can survive because it all shrivels up and dies. Clearly this is not actually true. I think it's kind of an Omalas situation <laughs> where the Keeper is the child who is being punished for eternity by being forced to sit in a chair and just kind of fade out of existence randomly. <laughs> there are definitely days where I would choose that though. No, definitely. But um, Cassia, this they, the, the, the beginning of the video that they show on the TARDIS view screen is from the past. And then kind of the present is that Cassia has just married Tremus, played by Anthony Ainley, who is Nissa's father. So they've just got married and she is still very attached to this statue. That's kind of where they appear in on Traken is when the marriage has just taken place. Mm-hmm. And the Keeper is very close to the end of his very expanded lifespan. Yeah. And then they get arrested. <laughs> Quite quickly. Um, Quite quickly. I guess that makes sense. If you have your utopia and then outsiders appear out of nowhere. Yeah. And then they say, oh, our spaceship is in the grove. And they're like, oh, go look for it. But uh, Melka has mysteriously, using eye laser beams, made the TARDIS disappear. <laughs> There's a lot of eye laser beams in this story. There's so many eye laser beams. And they're not like a consistent beam in a straight line. It's like little space invader bullets being shot at things. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I adore it. There's a bit later on in the story where Cassia shoots lasers from her eyes. And yes. it's wild. Yes. yes. Yes, that is. Oh, it's incredible! It's incredible. We, I, I feel like I should at least clarify. I believe that all special effects in Doctor Who have always been good, and I mean that <laughs> sincerely. <laughs> they were good for the time, for the budget that they had, and also and they're si- incredible. If you consider watching it on a tiny screen as well, it yeah. makes so much more sense than what was this one with dinosaurs in it, which is just. <sighs> We'll, dinosaur invasion or something? The invasion of the dinosaurs. That's we'll it, get to yeah. it. We'll get to it. <laughs> Sorry. Very, very meandering. Yes. In like a hundred episodes, the random number generator will finally let us look at the Triceratops. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so they get they get down to the planet. We we see that... Oh, I forgot. Cassia got taken off Melka watching duty and replaced by Nyssa and she was not happy about it. And we discover why, which is... <laughs> I mean difficult to understand for a while <laughs> yeah also uh fall gets out his time logs at one point which is yes uh, how does a time lord keep a diary i i'm fascinated by it well the answer is apparently not very well both in chronology <laughs> and like you know orthography which is that he has terrible handwriting as adric says in one of his many excellent lines in this series. adric is very good in this story i love adric i love adric even when he's being not particularly well written. I think Matthew Waterhouse is pretty good at being a whiny little teen, and I love him. The Doctor has apparently not been to Traken before, so this is all new to him, at least. Mm-hmm. And then they get arrested, someone goes to see the Grove, the TARDIS isn't there, they come back, and the Keeper appears, and they're like, oh my god, thank god, the Keeper can tell them that we're like legit. And then the Keeper sees in the background that Melka has crept in somehow. <laughs> As you do if you're a calcified statue, just As showing up. As you do if you're a calcified statue, poked its head round the side with its glowing red eyes, and um, the keeper goes, "Evil, infinite evil." <laughs> and then it's 
straight to Christmas. Very good impression there. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Proud of you. And then it it confirms that uh, Jeffrey Beavers is playing Melka, which yes. for the for those in the know is very intriguing news, as well as Anthony Ainley playing Trumas, which is why I mentioned it. Can we just take a moment to like shout out Jeffrey Beavers' performance? Yes. Throughout yes. this story. Yes. It only um. gets better. It only gets better. <laughs> he is incredible. Absolutely he is, brilliant. He's like the epitome of gay, evil and pissed off. And I think it's incredible. <laughs> and we will, again, get more into it, I suppose, as the story yeah. goes on. Episode two is great because it has lots more Nissa in it. <laughs> yes. Nissa is just one of my favourites. Yes, she um. is a very beautiful soul who we love very much i'm reading through my own notes which i made cool. <laughs> in which i said i really do love tom baker's don't give a shit expression in the opening credits which is still true he just seemed quite grumpy throughout the story yeah he's really not feeling being on truck and which i understand because it's like it's meant to be universal harmony and all they do is threaten him with guns for like yeah. the whole story he seems so done with adrif as well um, yeah, the, the, it, it's incredible because Adric has been travelling with him for what, one serial? Because Romana left in the previous serial. Mm-hmm. Now Adric's here and he's just like, ugh, Adric. Why are you not my real life wife? I mean, weird energy fair, to bring, but it's what's there. I mean, it's partly the whole Tom Baker didn't really like Matthew Waterhouse, so it kind of comes through. Yeah, which is such a shame because he's a sweetie. Yeah, he is a sweetie. A good egg. But yeah, so we, we cut back into the, the like throne room and Melka has skulked off, so they can't see whatever the Keeper was looking at, so they just assume that Foran Adric are the ultimate evil that he was talking about. And then Tremus comes in and is like, hey, I'm going to take them under my protection because I trust them for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> because it helps the plot along. There's a lot of plot convenience, which is fair enough, because Doctor Who lives and dies on plot convenience. Yes. So he takes them under his protection, and there's also some kind... There's kind of a murder mystery investigation going on in this serial, but, like, very low-key. It's so low-key that I kind of forget it happens. Because Melka keeps exterminating people. He keeps blasting them, and they're like, oh, what's going on with all these dead bodies? (laughs) Um, And yet somehow it still isn't the A-plot. And somehow it's not the A-plot. It's incredible. The A-plot is running around in the dungeons. I don't know. What's the A-plot? Lots of running around in corridors. Lots of running around in corridors and talking about the succession of the Keeper. Yeah. Cassia hides some bodies after they've been shot by Melka. Which is, that's basically being a collaborator. Yeah, she is, she is, she's definitely in league with Melka at this point, but Mm. she, she, she still cares for Tremus very much. She doesn't want him to get hurt. And then at some point, uh, I've just written the line down. The doctor says, do you know what I need more than anything else in the universe? Breakfast. <laughs> Nissa goes to leave flowers for Melka while Cassia yes. is still in the grove. Cassia doesn't like that because Nissa is mm-hmm. angling in on her stone man. <laughs> it's very strange. Maybe they have a completely different setup to relationships. Maybe. There's a whole th- there's a lot going on with it. Let's be honest, there's just a lot going on in this episode, which is why it's so hard to summarise. Yeah, I already feel like you know the Sorry Sunny in Philadelphia gif of him with yes, the conspiracy yes, board. Yes, it's very Pepe Sylvia trying to connect all of these people together. And then they start talking about, you know, oh, I've got a couple of things where I've noted whose name is whose by uh, signifying what they're wearing. So at some point, <laughs> Proctor Neiman, or whatever his title is, shows up. After, for some reason, one of the consuls is like, we need to establish someone's purity so that we know that they're not lying to us. And he decides to go and be interrogated by the source, I guess. It's very odd. I feel like there yeah. is someone had an original novel about Traken that they really wanted to put into the serial. And the doctor kind of bumbled in. Because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's effectively what, what happened because um, Johnny Byrne wrote the first draft of it pissed off to Greece on holiday <laughs> he did that he, he just needed a break as you do and then Christopher H. Bidmead was like this isn't what we talked about and did some quite extensive rewrites which might be why it feels so scattered yeah it is uh, as the people listening can probably <laughs> tell it's quite hard to describe even though I've watched the serial and read the target novelization just this week 
Yeah, I have watched it twice and I still couldn't tell you what happened. I could just tell you I loved it. Yes, that's fair. Um, at some point around here, Trumus gets elected as the next Keeper. Yeah. Cassia is not happy about this because she doesn't want him to become Keeper because she knows that Melka wants to kill the Keeper. And then Seron realises that something is going on with Cassia, but he has to go and enter rapport and get brain scanned by the source. Well, this is a weird show. It's so weird. Adric and Nyssa have been told to stay put by the Doctor, and then within about three seconds, Adric is like, well, I'm off. And Nyssa's like, but he told us to stay put. And Adric's like, but we could be on an adventure. And Nyssa is like, excellent point. <laughs> Let's go. I love their dynamic in this story. It's so cute. They're just teens with friends, and I think that's very sweet. I would love to see more of just the two of them being abandoned by the Doctor and making the most yeah, of it. Yeah, it kind of comes up in the Target novelization that Nissa hasn't really had friends nice. her own age at all, so it's nice to have Adric. Oh, bless her, my perfect Because Tremus is the only one who's had children, and obviously she's kind of oh. stuck with like the upper classes of Traken or what have you. It's got very Harrow the Ninth energy. Yeah, oh man, we can't get into Harrow the Ninth here, or just... We'll be here all day. At this point, Melka and Cassia are discussing the ascension to Keeperism, whatever, and Melka gives Cassia a big silver collar to wear. And she doesn't think anything of this, apparently, because she puts it straight on. <laughs> and then it starts, like, glowing red, and then he's hypnotised her. Melka has hypnotised her, which is... Uh... Look into my eyes. Yeah. Who else, who else does that in this show? Uh, when else does that ever happen? Roger Delgado. <laughs> every instance of the master i wonder if he's involved in this story because Mm. as it happens the very next shot is inside melka we see a console and then a wizened old crunchy hand reaching out um who could it be could it be the crunchy master the scrambled egg master oh my i've never heard him refer to him as the crunchy master and i'm never going to refer to him as anything else ever again it's either scrambled egg master or crunchy master those are my two options okay i've been going with burned master but your options are both better yeah i mean they kind of work like it's kind of difficult to explain why he's so crunchy because it's that he's between his it's he's in his last regeneration right is it just that he's lived so long that he's gone crunchy i thought he got thrown into a volcano at some did point. he oh man doctor who's wild ride yeah because they thought he died and then they decided to bring him back as a crunchy man and then we get into some very fast-paced exposition about something to do with the source that i didn't understand thank you trumison yeah. for for having absolutely no chemistry whatsoever trumis is trying so hard <laughs> and tom baker is not interested <laughs> nissa and adric go to the grove i think Oh, is this when Nissa bribes someone, or is that later on? Ooh. No, this is where she shoots someone. No, I thought that was after. I thought she bribed someone and then she shot someone after. Well, there's definitely shooting. There's definitely shooting involved, but she doesn't have the gun yet, so she can't have shot them because she doesn't have the gun. Oh. I think this is when she bribes Neiman, the man with the terrible cardigan. By which I mean excellent cardigan, of uh... course. She bribes him. <laughs> there's not a bad look in this story. I w- yeah, I wasn't quite sure how to take the bribery when I watched it, but in the Target novelization, they very helpfully include a scene where Nyssa explains to Adric that she's going to bribe him with money. Ah, that makes a lot more sense. Okay, so there's bribing and then... Because it felt in the show like she was just using her influence, but clearly she wasn't because she gives him something. I was so confused. Yeah, it's a very confusing story. It is, it is. I love it. Then uh, Adric identifies the energy that they've been tracking from all of the death scenes as being from a TARDIS. Dun dun dun. <gasps> oh my god. And still the fourth Doctor is like, hmm, I wonder who it could be. <laughs> which, which, which Time Lord doesn't <laughs> like me or anyone enough to try and disrupt the politics of a utopia? Hmm. It could be any of them, let's be real. True, but... I haven't watched, but. I haven't seen like The Deadly Assassin, so I don't know a lot about Gallifrey and culture. Oh my god, I love The Deadly it's Assassin. It's previous fantastic. Crunchy Master. He's met the Crunchy Master. <laughs> I think <laughs> at this point, uh, Seren has rapport and the Keeper turns up and is like, you are blameless, Seren, but doomed. And then Cassia shoots him with her eye beams. I adore this show. Yes. It's brilliant. It's really unnerving because obviously they put the, the whatever on her eyes and then yeah sorry for the terrible sound effect (laughs) so so what they did that they got like plates to sit over her eyes and then painted those plates with like iridescent paint so they could shine a light on them it would look like they were glowing that's pretty cool 
So it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it does um, It does look really sci-fi, and I enjoy it a lot. It's kind of yeah. almost incongruously sci-fi for Traken. I like it, though. I'm all about these genre merges. Oh, no, yeah. no. I like it, too. It's a good It's a good contrast, I think. And also, it, it suits her very boutique chic collar that she's wearing now which honestly in again i'm going to talk about the novelization in the novelization it is specified that it seals shut and she can't remove it that's not cool no it's not cool but it explains why she doesn't just take it off when she's like oh no malka is mind controlling me and then cassia lies to the council that tremus and four murdered saren when she did yeah. And then they all run out to the grove via like a secret passage and then Melka is there, the TARDIS reappears, but Cassia stops them from getting in and then they all get caught in an electrified net. It's a lot happens in a very short amount of time. That was all episode two. We've been recapping this episode for so long, but we gotta keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try and speed okay. run this. So they're in a cell. Yes. So Melka's having a chat with Cassia. And says that Tremus is going to continue to live as long as she continues to obey. And she's got to become the next keeper. She really doesn't want to. But Melka will control her if he has to. So she's kind of at a point of being unable to say no, which is always fun. We love seeing a woman's autonomy removed. And by that, I mean we hate it. We do hate seeing women's autonomy removed. There is uh, a little bit of a kind of women be crazy undertone to this one, which I'm not a huge fan of, but we'll see. I think it's an interesting comparison with Nyssa, who is so her own person yeah she's very independent Um, especially because cassia is introduced as being subservient to a statue and then as the wife of tremus so you're kind of like seeing her in relation to other male characters and then oh i put a note here because only someone who is of traken can become the lead can become the keeper and i was like this is kind of colonial that only people from the the central planet can become the leader of the empire right yep i thought that was interesting because there's not really any criticism of the idea of empire I just thought that was interesting. I think there's not really enough space in the story oh, to keep no. Empire as well as everything else it's doing. Certainly not. And if they'd tried, it probably would have fallen short, but, you know. Then Nyssa is eavesdropping, but Cassia immediately finds her. <laughs> <laughs> then she kind of leaves. Then she goes and gets the Ion Bonder, <laughs> puts a new crystal in it, and becomes Action Nyssa. Which is perfect. It is perfect. So this is where she has the gun yes she threatens some guards and she's like yes you have to let me get you have to let my father out i'm going to get my father and they're like no and she's like i'll shoot you if you do anything give me the key and one of them doesn't believe that she's going to shoot him so he moves and she just so cold shoots both of them incredible powerful beautiful moving i love her what a great introduction story for her as well yeah it's really really good i think it really kind of defines her as like kind of a oh massively she's a very cool scientist lesbian <laughs> and we love scientist lesbians we do love scientist lesbians doctor who is full of scientist lesbians i'm sure we'll find more oh, as we go through there'll be many and then they have to sneak out of the penal wing the prison which has been unused because no one commits crime on traken which i find an interesting concept that i wish they could have explored more but there we are maybe one day we'll return to traken before it got blown so. up i think that is an extended universe novel where there is there is it is the second doctor we'll get there <laughs> it okay. is a short story that makes no sense <laughs> love it much like many of the short stories but again we'll get into that <laughs> four takes the ion bonder from nissa because he's a man and he doesn't respect women with power <laughs> sorry i don't mean to be so down on four i just haven't watched many of his serials so i'm inclined to be mean to him he isn't his best in this story yeah he seems he seems he's a bit of a dick yeah he's a bit of a dick he seems quite bored which is fair enough because he yeah. does just keep getting captured and running down corridors and there's only so much that you can do he does seem quite happy at this point because tremus shows him the master plans to the source manipulator wait the master plans the ma- no i wrote this the master plan <laughs> <laughs> I also have a note that says uh, Neiman's tonsure, woof, because he has, Neiman like falls over when he gets shot and he's completely bald on the back of his head, (laughs) which is so weird to see. I don't know why. I'm just not used to seeing the back of people's heads, I guess. (laughs) Oh, there's a cool wall safe that's just like a big light that is glowing. The design of this entire story is just stunning as well. Yeah, it's so good. It's really like a good blend of kind of like renaissance and like fairy tale sci-fi shit. sci-fi shit exactly and really yeah. weird cardigans 
There's nothing I like more than a weird cardigan. I'm going to talk about it a lot. So they talk about <laughs> they talk about blowing up the source manipulator. The the source flickers like the flame that indicates whether the keeper's all right flickers, and then they're talking about something. And four says, "What can't be cured must be endured." And Adric says another banger line from Adric. That's the silliest thing you've ever said. <laughs> and then they all get captured and sentenced to death. Yeah as one does again and then the keeper dies and all hell breaks loose it is incredible it's like it's buck wild it's it's great there's lightning there's thunder there's wind it's genuinely really impressive and effective yeah and then uh well whilst the plot is quite convoluted the mood of the entire story is really strong yeah it's it's like i really enjoyed it i just now that i'm trying to explain it i'm like oh god they fit so much into this and it's so overstuffed yeah. cassia takes her place as keeper and then she gets swallowed by eternity <laughs> don't really we love to see yeah it. like she vanishes and melka takes her yeah. place not the master the statue <laughs> the statue yeah. material the statue just is like hey I'm here. Yeah, and it makes a TARDIS noise. And you're like, oh, it's a TARDIS. Four does not realise that it's a TARDIS. I just think he must be having a really bad day. He's having a really bad day. A really, really bad day. That is the end of the episode. And Jeffrey Beavers is still credited as Melka in every episode. Even though he is playing Crunchy Master. Because we see Crunchy Master. Yeah, Crunchy Master's ping pong ball eyes have a lot of presence. Yeah, they're so good. They're so good. We start episode four... Melka is the new keeper. He's got a very wonky little stone face, which I enjoy very much. Four finally twigs that something is going on. Yeah, bit slow. Yeah, he's he's very tired. He's about to regenerate. Oh, well, yeah. he doesn't know that, but he will. Crunchy Master is an incredibly bitter ex-boyfriend because Four doesn't recognize uh, Every him. master is an incredibly bitter ex-boyfriend. This is... I think Crunchy is even more so because he doesn't even get to see sexy John Pertwee fighting with a sword. Like, he's stuck with the fourth doctor who doesn't want to be there. He's not into the scarf. He's not into the scarf. And also, I was sad because it's not the classic scarf. It's the red and purple scarf, which is still good. I like the red and purple I scarf. I like the red and purple it's scarf. It's a really strong outfit. It is a strong outfit, and I like the really pointy collar. It's very 70s, but I was still, old, well, early 80s, I suppose. But I don't know. I just, I always associate, like, the, the best fourth Doctor one I've seen is obviously City of Death, and he's got it in that, so I think about that. Also, the hat. I like the hat. The hat, yeah. It's good. But yeah, so Adric and Nissa are in the TARDIS and they talk about how it works. Uh, Adric talks about it being dimensionally transcendental, which means that it's bigger on the inside than the outside. It's also lovely to see a companion introduce somebody to the TARDIS rather than the Doctor. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think they were really pushing Adric as being like the science kid, right? Yeah. Massively. The one who knows things. And I quite think it's quite good. Melka confines all the consoles to quarters and is loath to begin his regime with bloodshed. <sighs> and then he vanishes because as the keeper of the source, he sometimes gets pulled into the source away from them. Adric tells Nissa they can only destroy Melka by destroying the source. Nissa doesn't seem particularly bothered by this. Even though it's quite significant her culture yeah it's like you know Trakan ends up being a bit of an Alderaan and she ends up being a bit of a Leia but if Leia didn't really care <laughs> for like 10 minutes I mean to be clear she cares when the planet disappears but she doesn't care about the supposition that the source will get destroyed yep I think she is probably just quite done with a lot of the drama and wants to have her own drama yeah Nima gets a torture collar same as Cassia got Neiman pardon me Trumus and Four discuss how they're going to hack the source. Very exciting. Hacking the source. Very Matrix. Melka demands that Neiman go and get the master plan that they were looking at the previous episode, which in the novel, they move this around so that the two scenes are happening simultaneously. That makes a lot more sense. It, it makes so much more sense. Because in this one, I was like, he's been looking at that plan for like four hours. You are out of <laughs> luck, mate. Then they go in, and for some reason, there's an aubergine on the table, which I got really distracted by. <laughs> I didn't even clock the aubergine. There's just like, they at some point when they came in and ransacked the room, because previously someone came in and ransacked it, they like spilled a cornucopia of vegetables on the table for some reason. <laughs> incredible someone comes in and says afraid i might spoil your fun i can't remember who says it but i've said it was a good line reading and then the doctor goes bonk and bonks three guards heads together (laughs) 
This is very strange. It's Sorry, so weird. It. We cut back to Adric and Nyssa, who've made the servo shut off for the source so that they can uh, turn it off and prevent the master from fully controlling the source. Yep. Four keeps shooting people with the ion bonder left and right. He's very trigger happy. Which is very undoctory. The, doc- the doctor and Tremas go and they start hacking the source manipulator, but then Melka shows up and like a bunch of wind starts manifesting and they get thrown away from the console so they can't finish it. And then this is the bit where Tremus gets hypnotized. Yep. Yeah, and then he sort of and then he shoots Neiman. Yeah. And then the master is like, and now kill yourself. And he actually does bring the blaster up and shoot himself in the head, but it doesn't work. And you're like, what the hell, Doctor Who? What? <coughs> Yeah, it's intense. It's very intense. <laughs> the master says, none of this will matter when I control the deeper mysteries of time. <laughs> I I just love that approach, the deeper mysteries of time. The writing in Classic Who is so fun because it goes from techno babble to exposition to lyricism just so smoothly and I like it so much. Yeah. Uh, the doctor suggests using an ancient remedy for mad dogs, which I have to assume is killing them or drowning them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't look it up, but I remember from the Roman mysteries that there's a rabid dog and they just kill it. Yep, that rings a bell. And then he says, but it would be irrational to kill the doctor for totally pragmatic reasons. Not because he likes him or anything. <laughs> nope, not even slightly. He would never do something like that. And he shall enjoy full mobility once again. I believe this is when the doctor has been transported inside of Melka, which turns out to be a TARDIS. Shock horror. Yep, Who would have guessed? So. That this thing that the master was inside of was a TARDIS. <laughs> Who would have I guessed? Um, wouldn't have put that together. Yeah. Nissa and Adric's machine works and starts like exploding the source. The master screams very dramatically. And then it's his TARDIS is on fire. <laughs> I feel like the TARDIS being on fire, they don't really resolve how he stopped it from being on fire. <laughs> nope. Adric opens the door so that the doctor can get out and he finishes the code so that the source shuts off. Trimus and Nissa say goodbye to Fora and Adric, and they go back to oh, the Oh, it's Tardis. such a shame we'll never see Nissa again. Yeah, it's so sad that she and Trimus just go and live happily ever after on Traken. Yep. But wait. But wait. Doctor is on the TARDIS. He's like, oh, it seems she's going as right as ninepence. Whatever that means. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, and then Trimus is chatting to Nissa, and then he looks round, and he's like, I just have to go and check something. And there's this mysterious grandfather clock sat by the wall. What could it be? What could this mysterious, incongruous clock be? <laughs> I have no idea. And then he comes and touches the clock face, and the clock face opens, Crunchy Master comes out, and then, in an incredible piece of 1981 special effects, he merges. So good. He merges with Tremas, gets a haircut. In like a drag and drop sort of way. Yes, he just goes, yes. And then they do like a tweeting thing so that he has slicked back black hair and a goatee instead of <laughs> a grey bob and a beard. He just looks, he just he just goes full gay with it. I don't it. know how they do that, but I love it. It's so good. Credits. So there we go. To remain in this universe, the creature would have to reverse its polarity. Yeah, so we're going to go into kind of our more in-depth discussion. Not that we haven't already discussed it, but specific thematic discussion of the episode. <laughs> An apple a day keeps the, uh... No, never mind. The first thing to discuss is what we thought of the fourth Doctor in this serial. What did he get up to? How are we liking him this episode? Honestly, not. Yeah, it's... For a Doctor Who fancast saying I did not like the Doctor in this episode is probably a hot take for episode one. But here we are. Yeah, he kind of just i feel like theoretically you could just have adric and he would like the same things would happen like yeah it, it he doesn't really impact the plot he certainly like if he hadn't been there then like if the tardis hadn't been there then melka would have taken over and you know done whatever but i also feel like he kind of accelerated all the bad stuff happening <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Because if he um, if he hadn't shown up and then Melka had started wandering round, they wouldn't have had anyone else to scapegoat. And he also spent the entire thing not realising the master was the master as well. Yeah, that was just so odd. Because it feels like they laid so many clues. And he was just there like, I don't want to be here, though I will not engage with your puzzle. Yeah, exactly. It's like... I don't know. And I have seen... I've seen a, a quite 
a small number of Fourth Doctor serials because he wasn't my parents' favourite, so I didn't watch them growing up. And then when I got into it as a grown-up, I was kind of like a hipster and decided I didn't fancy watching them. So I've seen, like, Pyramids of Mars, great. City of Death, great. Mm. This, less fory. It's not very fory. He doesn't have a lot of his classic, like, charisma and charm, I guess. I wonder if it was originally drafted as a five-story and they weren't sure where it was going to put it because it's so close to his regeneration. And it would fit more with Five's grumpy sass. I don't know, because it's introducing Nissa, I feel like it must have been intended as like yeah. a closer. I don't know. I mean, I feel like even if Five was in this, Five would be more active in the story. I don't know. But that's that's like a writing failure. And then Tom Baker, because it's not very a great role for him, he's kind of just grumpy. Yeah, and it's the story after the Man of Two Leaves and he's missing her. Yes. Doesn't like Matthew Waterhouse. Poor Matthew Waterhouse. Poor Adric. He sounds so much better. He's such a sweetheart. Yeah, that actually leads very well into the companion drop. <laughs> I have to go. Now look, if you're going to be in trouble, you'll need me to look after you. Me too. But you don't understand. Let's talk about Adric, because Nyssa is not an official companion in this serial, so we're going to leave her for later. Adric. My oh, sweet my little boy. So I'm... It took me a lot of watching Adric to actually come round to him because I think he's just badly written for so much of his run. Yeah, like, the concept is bad. <laughs> they were like, yeah. we need a teen boy and he's going to be smarter than the Doctor and you're like, okay, already people are going to hate him. <laughs> and, like, Matthew Waterhouse is doing his absolute best. He's very sweet. He's got good delivery on some of those lines, especially when oh he's... Oh my god, his comic timing is... Fantastic. He's so good, and he's so good-natured about the fact that everyone hated him for his entire run on the show until he died horribly. Um, I feel so bad that watching the death scene is what really made me come round to Adric, and now I'm going back and rewatching the stories and being like, I understand. Yeah, my poor space. Son. Yeah, I think my f- so I think my first Adric story was Castrovalva, and I actually kind of enjoy him in that because he just gets tricked relentlessly, and you're like, oh no, poor lad. Poor lad. Poor he just gets tricked. He does do Clueless Boy. He does balance their um, intelligence and yeah. common sense. Yeah, he has really he has well. very high int and low wits, is what he has. <laughs> but yeah, so in this story, he has a lot to do with introducing Nyssa to the TARDIS and getting some science techno babble done and obviously yeah. disrupting the source manipulator at the end. So yeah, I think this was a good story for Adric. He was doing yes, well. I would agree. He, he has a lot of autonomy. And again, like I said earlier, Introducing this to the TARDIS is just a lovely scene for him. It really is, and he's he he clearly really likes her. Like they get off to a great start, they're off on the right foot, yeah. and they're just so sweet in all their scenes together. And they well, they they have like that genuine chemistry. Yeah, when you can see their friendship. Yeah, <laughs> really organically. Unlike Thor and Adric. <laughs> Adric deserves better. He does. Going to be my like. And then, you know, him and Fivey, I think Five likes him more. Um. <laughs> Five takes on more of a father figure, I feel like. Whereas Four is like, you're a nuisance, piss off. Yeah, but Four is like the very reluctant teacher on a, who's been stranded on a trip with one child. Has that ever happened to you in your teaching adventures? No, not in my teaching adventures. I have occasionally been very irritated by a child, but I've never told them to piss off, and I, I'm much nicer than Four, is what I'm saying. Not to toot my own horn, you. but yes. So that is our opinion on Adric, which is that we love him. <laughs> yep. And now we get into the... He's a very good boy. Yes, now we get into the really good content, which is... On your knees, Okay, so this is where we talk about the LGBT... You know the the gay shit that has occurred, whether actually gay or we're reading into Subtext- it subtextually gay. We believe the Doctor Who has always been gay and always will be, and therefore any interpretation yeah. that we make is completely true and valid. Thank you. It is a queer show to its heart. Yes, fight me. Yes, So first gay thing, Nissa. <laughs> I am so gay for Nissa. We're both very gay for Nissa. She's very beautiful. Oh. She's very intelligent. And she wears a great outfit with a fairy, like fla- flower fairy skirt and a, it's so good. Well, like a velvet puffed sleeve jacket. 
It looks like she's just fallen out of a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. Truly! Oh, she'd be so good as just, like, I don't know, like, Titania or something. Just Truly. And it's also, like, it's beautiful, but it's not overly sexual, mm. and it looks comfortable and practical. Yeah, and she's... Everything Yeah, and she's wearing a little tiara. I want a tiara. Maybe I'll make a tiara. I think a tiara is, like, a good fashion choice for any lesbian, or sapphic, mm. as the case may be. Or just anybody, really. We're not going to gender restrict tiaras. But yeah, so the the gay aspect of Nyssa is that she is very practical. We are in love with her. And she gets married to Tegan in the future. <laughs> Which definitely confirms there's going to be so much yearning yeah. in Nyssa's near future. So yeah, next part of the gay content is everything that the master does and says. <laughs> <laughs> is that where the on your knees doctor comes from? Yes, that is uh it is when he I believe it's at the very end and he is kind of taunting the doctor. And that that line, not in the book, which means it wasn't in the script. Oh my god. I adore how much everyone who's ever played the master leans into this um bitter ex. Theory. Jeffrey Beavers is an icon and also it describes the master's voice as like really deep and sonorous which is hilarious because Jeffrey Beavers voice is like ah oh, doctor I never thought I would find you here or whatever like it's very animated I would say camp camp and animated really leans into yes. the campness of it which obviously is you know very gay subculture as it is and that's definitely followed on with Anthony Amy's oh definitely oh man he sort of like looks at the concept of, of camp and goes I can do one better I, I and, and to be more serious I do think that like the the Dr. Master subtext is like the most enduring gay theme of the show yes. it's just incredible oh yeah also there's a bit where <laughs> the master says the husk of the doctor's body will have its uses which I'm sure is intended as he's going to use it for his next regeneration but there's no way you can hear that and not think hmm, yeah eyebrow raised yeah there's some there's some eyebrows being raised and i i love it very much so that's the the doctor and the master stuff there's also a lot of the costuming is quite camp which i very much enjoy yeah it it does lean into that like shakespeare production on steroids feeling <laughs> i've put uh, the keeper is bad at sitting on chairs and has a rad manicure <laughs> Which is very like inherently very gay. It is inherently very gay, um, and you know he's 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 tired, which is also very gay co- culture. <laughs> Adric is also on this. Yes, on this yes. Adric's everything, I believe. He's Adric, Adric, you're not wrong. Adric is such a baby gay, and I love him very much. I think that in the course of Doctor Who, the serial is not very gay, but because it has the master in it, it gets elevated quite a bit. It gets a lot of gay points for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not one I'd watch for its queer subtext on its own, but again, the mood and the aesthetic is what really carries the story along, and that is very camp. Yes. Uh, okay. A woman! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sure. Lots of people. And there's a woman! A woman. A woman? Hey! So okay, welcome to Wife. City. Welcome to Wife City. Population, us. us. <laughs> and in this episode, Nissa and Consul Cassia We've got two wives. Two wives. Yeah. So let's so we start by going back to our Nissa discussion. Yes, because we we kind of truncated it so that we didn't use all of our points about how we want to marry her very badly. Do you want to start with all of the wife shit that she gets up to? I mean. But for me, it's, it is a lot of like the stalking and being really tall and brave. That she is just on it. She gives no shits. She buys into the plan of taking down Malka. She is a badass. I love her brain. Yes, she's so like clever, and it's really nice. Obviously, yeah. I am a staunch defender of all female Doctor Who companions because I think that they have get a really bad rap from. Just like people not really understand, men. yeah, men and people who don't really understand, like who haven't seen classic who, who've only seen clips of them screaming, and they go, "Oh, they were all really weak and boring." But I think it's nice to have a female character, especially a female companion, who's introduced as being really intelligent and still being like, you know, I don't know about girly, but like she's clearly definitely feminine. Yeah, feminine. Like, not that there are many butch companions, but you get what I mean. Like, 
they're not degrading her for liking wearing a flower fairy dress or whatever. Yeah, she's very much the epitome of you can have both. Yes, you can. Get you a girl who can do both. Yes, get you a girl who can be Nyssa of Traken. <laughs> she's very... She she knows what's going on with the council. She can kind of follow all the politics of it, which I can't. And she does some casual bribery. So she's not above, she's not above breaking the law, which is very sexy of her. <laughs> I think she becomes an even stronger wife contender as her role on the show goes on as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. Every time I watch her, I love her. Role. Yes, it's yes. Delightful. She is great. Then our second wife is Consul Cassia. This one's a trickier wife, but I think we can do it. I think I think that were, were she not such a pawn for the men in the story, she would be yeah. a stronger wife. Yes. Like, the actress is doing a really good job. Oh, she's fantastic. She's great. And the costuming is great. As I say, I can't prove it, but I suspect her perm gets bigger the more secrets she must keep. Because she it. has incredible hair she's got a great look she's got incredible eyeshadow like it's like tritone or something it's amazing it's so good she is introduced to such a kind character like we see her the first time we see her is when she's going to see malka who is kind of con- like perceived by the trachinians trachinians whatever you say it as being like an evil thing that's come from the sky that needs to be killed basically with kindness and she's the perfect candidate because she just loves that statue. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously she gets corrupted, or not necessarily corrupted, but manipulated by the master. And I think it's really sad because... And does bad things. Yeah. I was going to say, she just clearly loves Tremus very much because every turn she wants to make sure that he's going to be safe. Uh, mm-hmm. So clearly she's a good wife. Yeah. I think she's also... So she does bad things, even with good intentions. And I like loving characters who aren't purely good yes definitely i think that there's a level of complexity that maybe the story doesn't fully lean into but can definitely be read into it quite easily and then she gets swallowed by the source and no one mentions her again i think it's sad yeah she deserves better she does maybe there's a short story maybe out we there need somewhere. to have a she deserves better drop uh, <laughs> be a lot. i'll work i'll work on it anyway i believe i believe in you the next the next segment is one that i don't have a sound effect for yet Behind the scenes with AIM. Behind the scenes. Welcome. Behind the curtain. So this is research from watching with commentary, watching with DVD special features, going deep on the internet. Um, not too deep, but deep enough. So for season 18, the season of Doctor Who, we had the new behind the scenes team of Chris H. Goodmead and John Nathan Turner. And JMT would stay in post until the end of Passable, basically. So lots of new people behind the scenes, lots of new things going on. So we've got that new character sequence of Paul looking very done, I guess. Yeah, he is sick of it. <laughs> he, he spent like seven years on this show. Yeah. I think he was ready to move yeah. on. New music, new aesthetic. Um, the designer for this episode was someone who hadn't worked in Doctor Who before. Ah. And he just took all of these medieval influences and dowdy influences and almost fantasy influences and melded it together. It's so good. It's absolutely glorious. It's so good. I I think of all the worlds that is a visiting Doctor Who that I've seen so far, this is the one I most want to inhabit. Mm. Um, I kind of vibe with that. It's a lot of boxes for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um so transmission for this was delayed because of industrial action. So there was a break over Christmas, which hadn't happened before. Oh my god. At least not in the middle of a story. So they had like the first two episodes and then the last two episodes. Oh. And I don't know how how did people cope with two weeks between the story resolving? I don't know. Because I can't cope two weeks without Doctor Who at the moment. I've spent two days. And I, I'm like, Oof. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> um, so it's, the keeper was named after the, the writer, Johnny Byrne, was living in a place called Keeper's Cottage. Cute. Um, and there were lots of keepers of the land around him. He's like, that's cool, I'm going to use that for Doctor Who. In the commentary box, Anthony only showed up late. Um, <laughs> but the entire time being very camp. Oh. Very emotional and absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. Um, he passed away shortly after recording it. Yeah. And the DVD um, dedicated to him, which made me cry. Matthew Waterhouse was a very, very lovely person. He had nothing bad to say about anybody. Oh. I think it's such... Such an impressive thing, considering the reception of his character and the way his character was mistreated. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, he and like the five TARDIS team are great on commentaries because they're all just having an incredible time chatting with each other, which I think is very sweet. Yeah, yeah. They were just having everybody in the commentary box was having a great time, and it was delightful. 
Um, lots of the actors are very into Shakespeare and it shows. <laughs> it certainly does. It's so high drama and convoluted. Um, and it sort of ties into like, there's a lot of full scenes rather than short moments introducing the secondary characters. Mm. So it's got a slower start, it's more paced, which it kind of needs to be because it's such a complicated story. But it's that nice middle ground between Doctor Who being rushed of its feet and also the, in my opinion, a little bit too slow pace of the 60s. I guess. I like the slow pace sometimes because I feel like it lets them have more characterization, but it depends on how good the script is more than anything else. Yeah, sometimes when you get to like episode five of a story and you're like, okay, now it's dragging. I think this is one of the rare stories where I think it could have been a six-parter rather than a four-parter because there's so much going on. I don't know, because I feel like in a way it's like, they don't, like, because they're, they're, I mean, we could, we probably could talk about this later, but I feel like there's both too much for the runtime and also not enough because, like, the driving yeah. plot, I feel like, isn't complex enough to sustain for six episodes. So they, but everything else around it is so complex. Like, if they had yeah, maybe yeah. more world building before Melka went evil, that would be interesting. Yeah. But yeah. Maybe that's what it needed. Yeah. Just a bit more. A bit more of before getting to what Trakan's like, I guess. Giving, yeah, giving the Doctor more to do as well. In the commentary, they mentioned reversing the polarity of evil into goodness. Yes! Um, that's sort of the name of our podcast. So that's an endorsement. I'm, I'm calling it. They love us. Absolutely. There's also a great line from Anthony Ainley, which is, the master had a soft spot for the doctor. It was a swamp outside Walton. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Um, oh. A nice little Easter egg is on the master's clock TARDIS. It's, um, the time is set for four minutes to midnight. And there are any four left for Tom Baker. Intriguing. Which is a clever little little drop there. So yes, those are some of my behind-the-scenes pickups. All right. We could all go, except Miss Shaw. Oh, just a minute, I'm not going to miss all No, Miss Shaw. Have you never heard of female emancipation? Liz, this time I think he's right. I think we've critiqued this episode a little bit already, so we can just build on what we've Yeah, this is kind of going more into it. So my first point is the consoles kind of can't make up their mind about Cassia, because at the beginning they're talking about like her psychic influences or whatever, and they really clearly think she's a bit of a melt and they don't like her. And then, like, two episodes later, when she's being mind-controlled by the Master and suddenly has this mysterious collar, they're like, oh yeah, don't leave, you can be the new Keeper, that makes sense. Why wouldn't Maybe you? Maybe really intimidated by her. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I've put Luvik being useless. He had one of my favourite double whammy, which is at some point in, like, the first or second episode, he says, I don't understand what's going on twice in a row. <laughs> That's me most days. Um, yeah, he's very relatable, but I think it's bad when you have a character saying that they don't understand what's going on because it's not a good sign for what the audience is going to be feeling. No. And as we discussed previously, we're not we're not crazy about Cassia's character arc ending with just her being manipulated constantly by the master and then swallowed by And then swallowed by the source, exactly. I think it's it, having this and not being here to balance that out and have them better rather female characters. Yeah, it definitely helps to have her. But we can have more than one competent female character in a story. We can. It is possible. We can. As it is, we have Cassia, and then we have Keturah, who's the old woman, who was also in the Aztecs, I believe. Which is quite cool. In a small way. Yeah, she was someone the first Doctor had a crush on, I think. Um, Yes, okay. Please at me if I got that wrong. But nicely, I have sensitive feelings. (laughs) No, I just thought she was quite poorly defined as a character. She just seems to be like the severe older woman, I guess, which is a fine trope to have. Mm. They almost managed Maiden, Mistress and Crone or whatever the trio of witches is. Yeah, but they didn't. But they didn't. (laughs) It didn't work. It didn't work. They didn't give enough character to the other two. But yes. Uh, And then the rest of my stuff is just nitpicking. So (laughs) there we go. Yeah. Why did the Master's Chameleon Circuit conceal the TARDIS as a big statue? It's extra. It analysed... It's really, really extra. It analysed the surroundings down to a molecular level of the grove, and instead of going, I'll be a tree, or I'll be some vines, it went, I'm going to be a big statue. Like... Did the statue already exist? Was he alre- Was the TARDIS already a statue before it crashed and the chameleon circuit is now broken? But clearly it's not because he turned into a grandfather clock at the end. These are the kinds of things that keep me up at night, Johnny Byrne. You can't do this to me. <laughs> I just think he was like, I don't care. At least I'm not a police boss. <laughs> 
I, 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 I bet he has a little spat with the doctor where he will turn into the most incongruous thing he can and still look less silly than the police box. But, like, the police box, you know, it has an iconic shape and form. It's no, uh, yeah. I don't know, pillar. I can't remember what the Rani's one turns into. It's, it helps to have a spaceship Something that's one like that, shape. Because yeah. uh, then they don't have to buy more models. They don't have to make more little models of the TARDIS to float in space. There was some really good model work in this. I actually really liked it. Not critique. A lovely bit at the beginning with the um, where the TARDIS is going past the planet. Yeah, it's so nice. It was just I just really like model work. I think it should come back as a thing because I think that CGI looks great, obviously, but it doesn't feel tactile in the same way. Yeah, yeah, really nice. Do we have any more critiques to have, or are we all right? We're all right. I think we can move on to your chunky section. Yay! Okay, so... <laughs> Let me get this straight. A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere in time and space? Yes. Quite so. But that's ridiculous. So, uh, the Doctor Expanded Universe, this is the first episode of the podcast, so I should probably explain what I mean when I say Expanded Universe, because some people, and I don't blame you, will not have interacted with the expanded universe because it is intimidating like me yeah because it's intimidating it is intimidating and vast and confusing and often not very well written but i will be featuring some of the better things in this segment so the largest proportion of the expanded universe is the big finish audios and the bbc books which were published in the wilderness years of 1989 to 2000 and well, 2005, they, they lost the license in 2009, I think, for like those books. So they still write things set with the past Doctors, but they are no longer as absolutely mental as they used to be. And I think that's a shame. <laughs> there were a lot of different ranges of books. I would recommend looking it up in case I get this wrong. But essentially it went Virgin New Adventures, which were all Seventh Doctor. Virgin Missing Adventures, which I think was like a variety. There was Past Doctor Adventures, which was a BBC Books one, which went from one to seven. This was after the movie. So after the movie, they started releasing Eighth Doctor Adventures, which are a treasure trove of gay content and completely baffling expanded universe stuff, which I will get into another time. The audios by Big Finish are also in a number of ranges. All of these things are considered canonical, but they are a different kind of canonical than the show. They, they've been canonised because of the 8th Doctor, Night of the Doctor short that they did for the 50th anniversary. He mentions uh, several of his companions who were in both the audios and the book slash comics. Nice. And one of the audios canonises the books. So, yeah, it's kind of, uh, to use a biblical term, deuterocanon, in that some people consider it canonical, some people pick and choose, which is what I do, uh, and some people think it's all a load of bollocks. <laughs> I adore the fact that they're using theology to explain Doctor Extended Universe. Yes, thank you. I've been listening to a lot of Apocrypals. <laughs> so w- what I'm going to talk about in this section today is the fourth Doctor's role, Nissa and Adric's role, although Nissa we're going to get more into when we do a fifth Doctor story, probably. And then I'm going to be specific about one piece of Expanded Universe media, which completely messed me up when I read it. So enjoy that. The Fourth Doctor was mostly in novels for quite a long time because Tom Baker refused to return to the role unless there was some really good material that he really liked. He is now doing big Finnish audios. He did a crossover with the Tenth Doctor and he was in a series called the Nest Cottage series or something like that where he solved mysteries with the help of his housekeeper. Oh, very Jonathan Green. Yes, yes. Nissa and Adric have a bit more of a role, although I would say Nissa significantly more than Adric. But Nissa is mostly in audios with five. So, for example, one of the most acclaimed would be Spare Parts, which is a Cybermen story that is absolutely incredible. And she also has one novel with the fourth Doctor, but it is set after her departure from the show. So it doesn't really count for this one. It's when she's uh, working at a university on an alien planet, which I think is quite cool. Okay, that's that's my jam. I love academia bullshit. Yes. The good thing about the audios, or at least uh, the first 50 of the main range for Big Finish, is that they're all available on Spotify, which includes quite a lot of Nyssa content, as well as lots of content for the other classic Doctors, who are all fantastic. Adric in the Expanded Universe gets a bit more of a short shrift because people don't like Adric. Which is mean. Yes. So he's in, he's in, I think, two books, one season of the fourth Doctor Adventures with Big Finish, and then he's also... Not played by Matthew Waterhouse, he is in an audio which is like a conclusion to Adric's story in like a kind of alternate continuity. 
played by Andrew Sachs, which is very funny because Tom Baker, when he met Matthew Waterhouse, was like, I don't think Adric should speak. I think I should speak to him like Basil Fawlty does to Manuel. And he just nods or shakes his head. And Manuel was played by Andrew Sachs. That's a beautiful little tying things together. It really is. But I found one piece of Expanded Universe content that I could access, which is for an Adric in the space between the previous serial, whose name I can't remember, and Keeper of Tarkin. And it is in the Short Trips, A Universe of Terrors collection, which is a series of short stories all kind of horror-themed. It is called Moritz, M-A-U-R-I-T-Z, and it is about uh, foreign Adric are in the TARDIS and they land in this mysterious citadel. They get out of the TARDIS. They're kind of wandering around this citadel like, wow, this is pretty big and there aren't really any windows to see outside. And then they got a bunch of hooded figures like monks and like, oh, maybe it's a monastery. Let's see if we can find someone to talk to. Someone comes up to them, takes his hood down and is like, hello, I'm Moritz. You know, I'm the leader here or whatever. And they're like, oh, great. And he goes, would you like something to eat? And they go, sure. So he takes them to dinner and he gives them some mystery meat in a bowl. And they're like, so where do you get this? And he goes, oh, we got some cattle somewhere. They go, can we see the cattle? And he goes, no, would you like to see the garden? (laughs) So they go to the garden and there are some people there gardening, like plowing the soil and everything. And four, because this is from Adric's perspective, it's a first person Adric story, but four goes around and he uh, pulls the hood down on one of the gardeners and it is also Moritz, but older. You're like, okay. And then there's another Moritz who is also Moritz, but younger. And you go, okay. And it turns out that Moritz has constructed this citadel in which... Like, every room is a different point in his own timeline. So there's all his potential timelines are represented. So all of his potential selves are there. Adric and Flora are like, hmm, actually, don't like this very much. Let's go home. So they try and get back to the TARDIS. But the room the TARDIS was in has now shifted in time. So it's not there anymore. It's 10 years in the future of that room. And they're like, okay. And then, like, they're still wandering around and they're like, so how far does this citadel extend? And he goes, oh, it's infinite. And like, okay. And Flora is like, well, if there's no outside, where are you keeping all of the cattle? And Moritz is like, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's oh, it's God, interesting. Okay. Um, and then Moritz is like, but hey, it's probably about dinner time. Let's have some more of our mystery meat. They didn't eat any of the previous mystery meat, to be clear. And they're there and Adric is kind of like, you know, reluctantly poking at it like I don't want to eat this. And Four and Moritz are talking and Four is like, so you have no access to the outside world. So this must be a completely self-sustaining system. Moritz is like, you've clearly realised something about this. And Four is like, yes. Moritz says, yes, every uh, like every brick is made from my bones. The mortar is from my blood. The twine is woven from my hair. And Adric looks down at his, his bowl and is like, oh... These are the potential future versions of you, aren't they? Uh, and that's not even the worst part of the story. Oh, no. Because after that, they're like, well, fuck this, we're leaving. Four tips the table over and they run back to where the TARDIS is. But guess what, Aim? <laughs> the TARDIS isn't there. Oh, no. Oh, God. And it turns out that they are not the main continuity Adric and Four. They are the Adric and Four and the potential future where they don't get back to the TARDIS. And they look up, and surrounding them are future versions of themselves. Like, potential future versions of themselves. What? And that is the only piece of Expanded Universe canon I could find that was just for an Adric. But yeah. Yeah, it was... It was really something. But yeah, that's my Expanded Universe spot. Uh, And I recommend that you read the Target novelization, which does not have cannibalism in it. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry for bringing... Sorry for bringing oh. the tone down with my extremely Amazing. long description of a 4,000 word short story. <laughs> I mean, this sounds brilliant, but also horrific. I love it when Doctor Who does horror because it has all of the tentacle parts it needs to do. Yeah, I think like Short Trips Short Trips is a really good exploration of Doctor Who Expanded Universe if you want to get into it, dear listener. Because you can kind of skip through because all of the collections have different Doctors. The same collection has a story about First Doctor that I might discuss in the future <laughs> but yes yeah, so now we move on to blank of the week <laughs> um which is a very fun yes segment. uh we're going to begin with nominations for the category bitchy adric line of the week my nomination is the fourth doctor saying what's wrong with my handwriting and adric looking up at him with such sweetness and saying 
It's marvellous. <laughs> I do not have a nomination because I saw that. I was like, well, I can't up it. I haven't made enough notes on what I'm going to say, but I'm into it. But if you're listening and you have a suggestion for Bitchiatric Line of the Week... Tweet us. Yes, tweet us. It should at Polarity Pod on Twitter. It should be from Keeper of Trocken, but we probably won't recognise it. So do what you will. <laughs> I think the category I'm bringing forward is Anagram of the Week. After the comic we spent literally half of the runtime, <laughs> and I'm just going to put Tree Mass out there as definitely not the master. No, not at all. Not even Anagram slightly. of the Week may become a recurring segment. Then the last. <laughs> Blank of the week is uh, I've put a little secret one in here, which is uh, six degrees of Blake seven. <laughs> I was wondering what the fuck your stars meant. I've decided that because Doctor Who and Blake seven are both British sci-fi of that era, I'm going to be just trying to find out what the closest association between a particular serial and the television show Blake seven is. In this case, Dennis Carey, who plays the keeper, was in an episode of Blake 7. So we have a one-to-one comparison between the two and I'm very happy about it. Brilliant. Love it. Can't wait till we do our spin-off Blake 7. <laughs> in like five years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And we're going to move on now to, to rankings, um, which is where we um, we rank the episode. Since this is our first episode of the podcast, this uh, the Keeper of Tarkin is automatically both first and last. Yes. Personally, I'd rank it five Bad Master Disguises out of five. Yes, and I would rank it uh, three calcified statues in an uh, an overgrown grove. Out of five. <laughs> cool. Yes. All right. Talk yes. Thank you for listening. Okay, follow us on Twitter at PolarityPod for updates. Tell your friends if you've enjoyed this and please, please do get in touch with your favourite bitchy adric line of the week. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Reversing Polarity. Mm-hmm.